0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Well, good morning, saints. Go ahead and uh, turn on your copy of Scripture. Open up your copy of Scripture to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. I'm going to read this um, section of Scripture here. Our sermon this morning is going to be touching on this idea of our God of justice. Uh, That is the sermon titled this morning, Our God of Justice. Uh, The sermon this morning and the sermon next week are really uh, geared to be the bread and butter of this sermon series, talking about our God of justice who acts with justice And then next week, how do we imitate this God of justice as beloved children? We are going to cover um, a bevy of scriptures this morning, but when we land the plane of our sermon this morning, we'll be landing it on the runway, I guess you could say, of Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. So we're going to read these verses here, um, some pretty famous verses. What I want you to clue into as we are reading this is this idea of the righteousness that God grants to us, this righteousness we get from the God of righteousness, and then specifically in verse 26, the language Paul uses to describe this good God as the one who is just and the justifier. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, I just want to uh, remind you, that what you're holding in your hands is more than just a a digital copy of God's Word. It's more than just ink on paper. According to Ephesians 6, what you have is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is His weapon. And we're going to ask um, and pray here in a moment that He would wield this uh, uh, sword of His, the Word of God, to open us up and challenge us and change us. So here's Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Our brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, this was to show something. It was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Again, our sermon title this morning is Our God of Justice. And the main idea, the main truth I want to lay before us is this Our righteous God of justice acts according to who he is. So we're going to go into the scriptures, we're going to learn some truths that God is righteous, God is just. The Bible terms there are uh, very synonymous, the way the, the, the writers of the scriptures use this idea of righteousness and justice, and I also just want to press home the idea that our God is not hypocritical, our God is a God of integrity, and because he is a righteous God of justice, he acts according to his righteousness, he acts according to this character attribute of his called justice. So let's pray, and then we will get into our verses, our sermon this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would move with power and that you would move with might. May we be able to say along with the man of God, Samuel, um, when he heard the Lord speaking to him, uh, Eli said, well, next time that the Lord speaks, you need to go back and say this to him, speak Lord, for your servant is listening. God, help us to joyfully embrace that phrase and own it as our own. We get to hear you speak from your word this morning. May we say, along with Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Holy Spirit, wield your sword in such a manner that it lays us open, challenges us, and changes us, causing us to rejoice, not only because we get to hear a word from the Word of God, but because we walk away with a fuller understanding of the God of the Word. It is in the name of our living God, I pray these things. Amen. Well, now that we have set the foundation, right? We've talked about Bible delight a couple of weeks ago. We follow that up with Bible sufficiency. What I want us to do now is totally skip over the Bible and just start talking about things however we want to talk about them. No, that's, that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is uh, ingest our own medicine, so to speak. We talked about Bible delight. We talked about Bible sufficiency. Now we want to go to our sufficient Bibles And delight in the god of this bible the god of the word i want us to go there so we can begin to just sit and soak and taste and see what our word the bible has to say about our god being a god who is righteous a god who is a god of justice and a god who delights to act according to he is You see, when we read our Bibles, it is clear that God wants us to be a people who loves what he loves and hates what he hates. And as we are gripped with Bible delight and cling to God's sufficient word... What we will begin to discover is that repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, one of the biggest themes you find in scriptures, whether it's the first five books of the Bible, whether it's the historical books, whether it's the Proverbs, the wisdom literature, the major prophets, minor prophets, the Psalms, the New Testament as well, constantly talks about this God who is a God of justice, a God who is a God of righteousness, and loves to act according to to justice according to righteousness. God loves these things. And what we're trying to do is establish before we go off next week and say, we are called to seek justice, Isaiah 1. We are called to do justice, Micah 6. We first need to just root ourselves in the God who is this way. And that is my aim this morning. Our Bibles. Lord willing, are going to reveal that justice and righteousness flow from the very character of God. And they are an integral, an integral part of everything that he does. It's an integral part of how he rules the world he has created. So if we want to reap the fruit of justice in our lives which I hope is something we want to do because the Bible, after all, commands us to do justice, seek justice. It is something God calls us to do. As we're going to see again, Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. If we're going to imitate this God of justice and righteousness, we need to learn about him. Then what we've got to do is plant God's words in our hearts, plant his word in our minds, so that we can imitate this God that we love. And so my aim this morning is to do that very thing. Now, for those of you who were here last week or watching on, online, I realize uh, last week's sermon was pretty, pretty weighty, pretty lengthy, had um, multiple, multiple points to it. Um, it reminded me of an old Puritan preacher who, in classic Puritan fashion, strolled up into the pulpit and began his sermon by saying, today uh, the first of my 15 points of this sermon are going to be X. And then he began to lay out his his 15-point sermon. The people I mean, he was just killing his people, right? 15-point sermon. They were groaning under the weight of this thing. Um, gets done with his sermon, goes home. He hears from his people like, man, that thing was pretty weighty, 15, 15 points. And so what he does is he prepares for the next week's sermon, comes up into the pulpit and says, hey, listen, I get it. The 15-point sermon was a little bit much. And so this morning, what I want you to know is that this morning's sermon is going to be pointless. Um, and so that, you know, struck the uh, the, the laughing of his people um, because of the play on words. You guys obviously get it, right? So what I want to do is say this, is that and I believe this is the Puritans' point, is that this isn't pointless as in this is a grand waste of time. Why are we even here for the next 40 minutes? But he was wanting just to lay a big truth on his people, calling his people to come and soak underneath just the beautiful truth that permeates the scriptures concerning the topic X he was preaching on. And it's in this sense that I want you to know that my aim this morning is to deliver a pointless sermon to you. I want us to survey the scriptures, truly just survey the scriptures, and come away saying, behold our God who is righteous and just and who acts according to who he is. And so that's what we are going to do this morning. We are going to open our Bibles. That's the little pieces of paper that I handed to you guys. We're going to be skipping through some scriptures. I want you to soak in those scriptures. I can already see some of you forming beads of sweat, the note takers among us, like how on earth am I going to be able to keep up on these things? What that little piece of paper is, is hopefully a tool that will help ease you back from the edge so that you can not miss some of these things that we're going to be talking about, but then also be able to go home and use this as a tool to dive in and be good Bereans. Don't just take my word for it. Go and look these scriptures up to see if what I am saying is true. So where can we begin? Well, we can begin by just understanding this. Where we can get sidetracked as English speakers is by recognizing that the word righteousness and justice in English tend to have two very sort of separate, different different kind of meanings. We don't tend to link those two realities together. But what you need to know is that in your Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, And in your New Testament, which was written in Greek, the Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek actually link these words together. They come from one word group. So when a writer in the Old Testament, when a writer in the New Testament begins to talk about God's righteousness, begins to call attention to God's justice. What they're not saying is, here's this one category over here, and here's this totally separate, has nothing to do with this category over here. What they're doing is saying, no, to talk about righteousness is to talk about justice. To talk about justice is to talk about righteousness. From the outset, it's important to know that as you read your Bibles... That righteousness incorporates the idea of doing justice. And doing justice incorporates and conveys the idea of being righteous, doing righteousness, of seeking to right something that has gone wrong by restoring that wrong thing to a condition of rightness. And you hear that, right? Rightness. Righteousness. And so then it becomes very eye-opening when you see that this is the very heartbeat of our God. He is a God who is a righteous God. A God who is a just God and fights and strives to do the very things that he loves. Righteousness and justice. So if we're going to understand justice, if we're going to understand righteousness, then we need to understand our God Because righteousness and justice derive from him. They find the fount of what we need to know about righteousness and justice. It originates from him. It comes from him. Justice and righteousness are good things to strive for because they come from a good God. And so the good news is that the Bible clearly reveals God's character in these ways. It reveals that our God is righteous. Our God is righteous. To speak of God's righteousness is to speak of God's righteous character. It's to realize that our righteous God always acts in accordance with what is right. And for God to be described as a God who is righteous, it means he is the final standard of what is right. So God does not say, I am a righteous God. He does not reveal himself in his word as a God who is marked in his character as someone who is right because of some standard that is outside of himself. He doesn't look over here and say, you see this right thing over here? This is the plumb line by which I measure myself against this thing outside of me. No, he says, I measure it against myself. I am the standard, the final standard of what is right. So you go into Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. You hear Abraham successfully appeals to God's own character of righteousness when he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? In Psalm chapter 19, verse 8, a famous psalm about the goodness of the word of God. It informs us that God speaks and God commands what is right when he says the precepts of the Lord are right. And it's these right precepts that rejoice the heart. And in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19, God says of himself. So here is a declaration of Yahweh, the living God. And here's how he says, and here's what he reveals about himself. He says, I, the Lord, speak The truth, I declare what is right. If you remember, at the end of 2019, uh, we took several months to work through the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 17. And if you remember, that John 17 is a very in depth prayer that Jesus prayed right on the cusp of his crucifixion. And in John 17, verse 25, we read Jesus' high priestly prayer where Jesus refers to the Father with this language of righteousness. Listen to what he says. He says, O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. So even Jesus ascribes to the Father this attribute of being righteous. The summary report of the psalmist in Psalm 145, verse 17 is this. Listen, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, not some of his ways, not just the ways that we agree with, right? Usually we're like, yeah, this guy's really right. And what we mean by that is he's really right because he's saying what I will agree with, right? Right? As long as that person agrees with the kind of thoughts that I think should be agreed with, we are willing to ascribe on the horizontal levels of life, yeah, man, that will Dan Hartman, he's really right. And we usually what we mean by that is because he agrees with me in all the things that I agree with and think are right. The psalmist says, no, 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 we don't want to approach Yahweh in this way. We don't want to approach the Lord God in this way. What we say is this, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, even the ways that we find a little tough to swallow. He is righteous in all his works. So the Bible describes God as righteous. Our Bible also reveals that our God is just. Remember what we said at the beginning of the sermon, righteousness and justice, righteousness justice, two terms describing one attribute of God. And so right alongside all these verses in your Bible that describe God as being a righteous God, there are tons of verses that describe God's justice. So what can we say about justice? I think it's important to to understand this. So there's not necessarily a verse in your Bible where uh, God says, thus says the Lord, this is the holy definition of justice, and then fills in the blank. But what you can begin to see over and over again when God speaks When people describe God as being a God of righteousness, a God of justice, it describes God in this way. To say he is just means that God gives to everyone that which they are due. He's going to give to that person that which they are due. So, for instance, and we'll see some of this next week, when you begin to see God repeatedly calls his people to love those who are oppressed, poor, the sojourner or the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, and says you need to act justly towards them. What God is saying is this, because of the kind of position they are in in society, they are not being treated equally. They're being oppressed. And I want you to act with justice towards them and fight for justice so that they can get what they are due. Fighting for them where they are unable to fight for themselves because of the position that they are in. God gives to everyone that which they are due. Justice. Or to use the words of one theologian, God's justice reveals itself in treating everyone according to what they deserve. And so when you start diving into your Bible, it will reveal that justice is a chief attribute of God. In his prayer to the Lord God concerning the sin of God's people, Ezra the scribe prayed this way, O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. In writing to God's people, the prophet Isaiah says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And then later in the same book, Isaiah records the declaration of what God loves, records the de- declaration of what God hates. This is God speaking. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. And then when you begin to see these verses talking about God's righteousness, and then you begin to see these verses talking about justice, you will begin to notice that one of the favorite ways the Bible loves to talk about God is by stitching these two things together, describing Him as a righteous God who is a God of justice. In Deuteronomy 32.4, we talked about that earlier in our liturgy. It's a song that Moses is singing to God. And Moses says this, he calls Yahweh the rock. And he says, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. He is a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Here it is, just and upright is he. You go into to Psalm 99, phenomenal psalm. I encourage you to go home and read it and just soak in the words of that psalm. Psalm 99, especially the front half, verses 1 through 4, what the psalmist does is he grounds justice in God's role as the sovereign king of the universe. So he picks up this language of a cosmic ruler, a cosmic king who's going to redeem all things to himself. And there he is ruling over the nations. And the psalmist says, Yahweh reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The king in his might loves justice. You, sovereign king, have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. The prophet Jeremiah reminds us of the only proper boasting that should be upon the lips of the people of God when he records Yahweh saying this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And then he defines what we should understand and know about him. Yahweh says that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, practices justice, practices righteousness in the earth for, listen, in these things I delight, he says. I delight in them. I delight in steadfast love. I delight in justice. I delight in righteousness. You see, God's justice is perfect, brothers and sisters. There is no imperfection to the justice of, of a righteous God. None. No imperfection whatsoever. The Lord our God deals out the most absolute justice. Whatever anyone deserves, and only what they deserve, God gives the full measure of their just deserts. Repeatedly, the scriptures tell us that God is. Impartial. He can't be bribed. He can't be swayed. He's never going to overpunish. He's never going to underpunish. He knows, as the omniscient God, exactly what to give in any moment. You see, and it's because of this. He is our God who acts according to who He is. Friends, if I could just stress something here right now, it's just going to be this idea. I think there's a lot of people who probably don't dwell much on this idea that God is a God of justice, that God is a God of righteous. That's probably a vast majority of people. A little bit smaller might be the category of someone who's willing to admit God is just, God is righteous. I think an overwhelming amount of people who are willing to admit that God is a God of justice and that God is a God of righteousness somehow fail to draw the conclusion, and that means he will act that way towards us. That he can be bribed or maybe he likes to give a little wink to things he likes to pull back the rug and sweep some things under you know that little sin wasn't that big of a deal if god was the sin winking rug sweeping kind of god our god would be a sham he would not be just he would not be righteous you see justice is not an optional product of god's will Justice is an unchangeable part of the very character, the very nature of who he is. He acts according to who he is. He's not a God of hypocrisy. He is a God of integrity. And if you were to travel maybe to a local courthouse here in town, the little town you grew up in, the chances are good that you would go into that courthouse and you would find a statue Lady holding scales, usually has a blindfold on. And what we recognize about this lady holding scales with the blindfold on is this is sort of the the emblem of our earthly judicial system. It's this blindfolded woman holding scales. And in an attempt to personify this concept of justice from an earthly standpoint, all of us have seen this, we as humans try to portray justice as being blind because we don't want to be partial in the metting out of justice from an earthly standpoint. So what we say is justice has to be blind. We want to weigh the sides on the scales, but what we wrongly do if we are found guilty of doing this is we turn and then say that this blinded idea of justice is equally true of God but the bible clearly reveals that the justice of god is not blind it is wide-eyed and it is clear-sighted the all-knowing all-present god knows all actions knows all thoughts knows all motives so he wields the scepter of justice with crystal-clear vision and in his righteousness he can neither overpunish And in his righteousness, neither will he underpunish. Rather, his judgments are always what justice demands. It's no more and it's no less. Justice is always served by a righteous God. In Job 34, verses 10 through 12, we read this. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. And far be it from the Almighty that he should do wrong. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him. And according to his ways, he will make it befall him. Here is a truth. God will not do wickedly. The Almighty will not pervert justice. In Isaiah chapter 51, verse 5, we read how the Lord God is the ultimate judge of all peoples. So he's not just the judge of his people, right? Sometimes you share Jesus with people and you might hear this sort of line of of argument. Man, like, you know, maybe JT is an an unbeliever and I'm sharing Jesus with him. And he's like, you know, John, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And sort of the line of reasoning, the line of argumentation going on there is this. Listen, I know that's how it's going to happen for you, but I am outside of that. That's a truth that is subjective. It's subjected for you. It affects you, yourself, but it doesn't affect me. I'm over here. I don't agree with that. And because I don't agree with that, I will not be subjected to those truths of whatever you're trying to articulate. But what the scriptures firmly tell us is that the righteous justice of a holy and good God is not just limited to the people who say, God is my God, Yahweh is my Lord. It is something that will extend to every single person who has ever been of any nation, past, present, or future. Jesus will eventually bring justice to the nations. Our living God will do this. Isaiah fifty-one five. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. Therefore, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6, Commit your way to the Lord because he is a righteous God who is just and his righteousness draws near and his arms will judge the peoples. The psalmist says, listen, don't don't live in this world where you assume the justice of a righteous God will not extend to you. No, as a result of those things being true, commit your way to the Lord, says the psalmist. Trust in the Lord and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday, says the psalmist. You see, as a result of God's righteousness, it is necessary, necessary, absolutely necessary that God treat people according to what they deserve. Thus, it is necessary that God punishes sin. Sin does not deserve reward. Sin is wrong, and sin deserves punishment. And this truth is why we can lastly say that God's justice is the foundation for the good news. Of the cross. God's justice is the foundation for the good news of the cross, saints. God's flawless justice requires that he punish sin. And since nothing is hidden from his sight, ultimately no one will get away with anything. God sees, God knows. And in his justice, God will act. Now for those of us who've tasted and seen the sting of injustice here in this earth, injustice that exists because of sin, injustice that exists because of sinners sinning against other sinners, whether it's the injustice of sexism, The injustice of racial prejudice or the injustice of oppression that can be shown to the widow, shown to the orphan, shown to the immigrant, shown to the poor. The truth of a righteous God who sees, knows, and acts justly should bring an immense amount of comfort for the person on the receiving end of injustice. The fact that Paul says in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's the language of promise, brothers and sisters. I will repay. It's not, I hope I can and well shucks, I'm telling you now, I'm not strong enough to get it done. It's no, vengeance is mine. I will repay justice in its fullest perfect most holiest measure will be meted out on that final day those of us who've tasted and seen the sting of any form of injustice should rejoice in our hearts that a righteous god who acts justly is going to see that wrongs become rights in the end but as men and women who are corrupted by sin the exact same truth of God's justice should shake us to our very core. This is what we read earlier in Romans chapter 3, saints, when Paul said, there is no distinction. No distinction. Rich, old, young, poor, man, woman, black, white. No distinction. All distinction have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is very clear when it defines sin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, defines sin as lawlessness. And when the Bible defines sin as lawlessness, that means Those who commit sin are seen as sinners who are lawless, breaking the law of a holy God. And because justice is part of God's essential character, he will not acquit the lawless. Exodus 23, verse 7. God has to punish sinners... In order to stay true to himself as the God of justice. Again, he's not a God-winking, rug-sweeping God when it comes to sin. Sin that's been committed against him. He can't just turn a blind eye to that. After all, he is just. He must deal with sin. He must punish sinners in order to stay true to himself as the God of justice. However... At the exact same time, we know that when God proclaims his name in the Old Testament, he often says his nature is to also have mercy. His nature is also to show grace. This is what Yahweh said to Moses, if you remember in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. When he passes before Moses and proclaims to Moses, saying, if you want a little glimpse of who I am, Moses, be quiet and listen. And then speaks Yahweh. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful, a God who is gracious. I, Moses, am slow to anger. I, Moses, am abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses, I'm the one who keeps steadfast love for thousands. I, Moses, am the one who forgives iniquity. I forgive transgression. I forgive sin. But listen to what he says after that. I am also the God who will by no means clear the guilty. So in one breath, he lays out justice. I will not acquit the guilty. Mercy, grace, (laughs) steadfast love. This is who I am, Moses. And so the question that you have to be wrestling with right now is this. How can God righteously save anyone and yet remain completely just? how can he do it? How do we reconcile a God who is merciful and gracious while simultaneously a God of justice who will by no means clear the guilty? That's Feels like a human conundrum that cannot be solved. And if we were to attempt to reconcile this in our humanity, we would not be able to reconcile this. How do we reconcile it? In our humanity, we can't reconcile this, but guess what? God can. And He did at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, here is a gospel truth. In his justice, God punishes sin so that he might be just, says Paul in Romans 3.26. But here is another equally important gospel truth. In his grace, God makes people righteous so that he also might be the justifier This, friends, is what the good news is all about. This is the good news that Paul is arguing for in Romans chapter 3. While it's true that all have sinned and all need salvation, it's also true that all may receive salvation, says Paul, and all may be freely justified. To be justified is for you to be on the receiving end of God saying, I declare you to be righteous. I declare you to be right with me. So the question is, what did God do in order to remain true to himself so that he could justly punish sin, but then in the same breath, turn around and look at the unjustified sinner and say, I'm also simultaneously declaring you to be right with me. Paul says, God accomplished this by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus and the cross of Christ is the answer. Why is it the answer? Because, says Paul in verse 25, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation, fancy $2 theological word, it means this, wrath-absorbing substitute. God in his justice is the, Genesis eighteen twenty-five. Judge of all the earth, who is going to do right? And so what God did was he put Jesus forward so that he as the just judge provided a wrath-absorbing substitute by his blood. Wrath from a just judge has to be shown against sin. The payment for sin has to be paid. And Paul says it was paid in full at the cross you see this is the good news of the cross of christ because now at the cross god can be just and the justifier of the one who looks to jesus and says my hope of righteousness, my hope of rightness, my hope of a right standing with a holy God as an unholy sinner is for my sin to justly receive receive what it deserves, and I'm looking to Christ as the wrath-absorbing substitute in my place so that now God can say, Jonathan, Justice has been served on your behalf. I've poured out my wrath on Christ, and because you're now looking to Christ, the wrath that he got, which should have been yours, you now can get his righteousness attributed to your account. And there at the cross, justice and mercy meet in a mind-boggling, good news-declaring way. In other words... At the cross, God's justice was perfectly carried out because at the cross, the Son received the just reward sin was due. And because that is true, because the Son received the just reward sin was due, God, listen, God can now justly justify the unjust. He can justly justify the unjust. Because God put forward His Son as the wrath-absorbing substitute we need, He can, if you want to use the language of righteousness, He can now righteously make the unrighteous righteous. Friends, the issue of a merciful God who must justly punish sin, it gets resolved at the cross. That's why we as Christians sing songs about the cross. That's why we glory in the good news Of the cross. The cross of Christ is the only righteous solution that satisfies God's justice and simultaneously reveals His great grace. And for this reason, we can praise our righteous God of justice for the good news of the cross. And so here's my final challenge for you it's a question for you to chew on whether you're the little ones sitting in here, listening downstairs, listening at home, or maybe you have never heard these things spoken in this way, here's my final question for you. How have you responded to this good news of the cross? How have you responded to it? Have you responded to it? What is holding you back from responding to it? Your hope of an eternal right standing with God really does come down to how you answer this question. How have I responded to the good news of the cross? To die and stand before God in judgment, not having looked to Christ as Paul said here, having faith in Christ means you will stand before God And the justice you deserve will be poured out on you. But some of us are going to stand before God on that final day and say the justice I deserve was poured out on Christ. And I am trusting in him and him alone as my wrath-absorbing substitute through his blood shed on that cross. Father, that is the only reason why I get to stand here. And Father, the Father will say that is why you get to enter into my heaven for eternity because your trust is in Christ, in Christ alone. Friends, don't let this day get away from you without wrestling with this question. Have I responded to the good news of the cross? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your clear word. If there was any... um, unclarity spoken this morning, it is not due to your word, it is due, it is due to your messenger. So Father, if there was any unclarity, would you, would you make it clear? Father, where things were spoken clearly, we will praise you for that. And we ask that now, um, as these gospel seeds have been sown into hearts and minds, Father, uh, what Satan would love to do is pluck them away from us, cause our minds to be stirred up and our attention drawn elsewhere father would you help us by the strength of the holy spirit to fight the gospel plucking endeavors of our enemy the enemy of our soul would you help us to respond in various ways to come on what does that look like to wrestle with a response to the good news of the cross jesus thank you Thank you, thank you, thank you for your crucifixion and your resurrection. God, thank you for clearly revealing you are the God who is righteous and just. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen.